Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics on CPAC, the Vote 2021 edition. It is day nine of the election campaign. Election night, just four weeks from tonight. On the campaign trail today, health care is front and center as liberals and conservatives clash over promises, and the liberals get slapped down by Twitter for manipulating past comments from Aaron O'Toole. Coming up, MPs will be here to debate the health care policies. We'll also speak with Green Party leader Annamie Paul about uh, some of the things she's been saying on the campaign and challenges her party is facing in this election. But first, the day on the election trail. Good morning. Yeah, good to see you. Welcome. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau continued his campaign on the East Coast. At a stop in Halifax, Trudeau focused on health care wait times and the shortage of doctors. He announced a re-elected Liberal government would spend $6 billion more in funding to the provinces to reduce health care backlogs and hire 7,500 more family doctors and nurses. And he made it clear that any additional health transfers to the provinces will come with conditions. For years and even decades, the conversation about health care has been how much money we're investing. We're much more interested in how we're actually helping Canadians, how Canadians are getting the results in their health care system that they need. Trudeau also faced questions about liberal campaign tactics after the social media site Twitter added a warning label of manipulated media to a video tweeted by Liberal candidate and Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland. Conservatives have asked Elections Canada to investigate the edited video showing Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole during the Conservative leadership race last year. During an online question and answer session, O'Toole is asked if he would bring private, for-profit health care to Canada. He quickly responds yes, but in the full original recording, O'Toole goes on to say that universal access remains paramount. Today, Trudeau doubled down. Just this weekend, we saw that in the middle of the pandemic, the leader of the Conservative Party came out to support for-profit health care. That's just unacceptable. I don't know about you, but to me... It sounds like just another way of saying he wants to go back to the Harper era of cuts to health care and private investments. Well, that's not the way forward. Good morning. The Conservative leader was back campaigning today from the party's campaign studio in an Ottawa hotel. Aaron O'Toole promised a Conservative government would require federally regulated companies with 1,000 or more workers or $100 million a year in revenues to include worker representation on their board of directors. O'Toole also responded to the healthcare Twitter controversy involving the Liberals. They're importing American-style misleading politics. I think Canadians deserve better than that. But O'Toole was also pressed on exactly which healthcare services he would open to for-profit operations while maintaining universal access. Aaron O'Toole would leave those decisions, he says, to the provinces. We're securing $60 billion of new funding in a predictable way to the provinces so that they can make the decisions. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh campaigned in Montreal in the riding of Liberal leader Justin Trudeau. Singh's working hard to add to the single seat the NDP now has in Quebec. 
Climate change is a top issue for Quebec voters, and Singh argued today that native son Justin Trudeau has let Quebec and Canada down by continuing to fund pipelines and provide subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. Singh promised to redirect those subsidies immediately to clean energy companies and to spend half a billion dollars for Indigenous-led environmental programs. What we've seen a long time from Liberals and Conservatives is this notion that you can give money away with really no strings attached to large corporations and hope that the money will actually end up in workers' hands or end up in, in doing what we need to, to defend the environment. That approach has been shown again and again not to work. The NDP leader also slammed the Liberals for the Twitter attack on Aaron O'Toole over health care. We need to be taking an active role in the removal and the flagging of this type of information. It is really disconcerting, though, that the current party in power is engaging in exactly what we need to be ending. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette campaigned in Trois-Rivières today and slammed Justin Trudeau's track record on ethics. And he also slammed the Liberal leader's promise to insist on conditions for any new health transfers to the provinces. The Green Party leader, Annemie Paul, continued to focus her campaign in Toronto, where she's trying to win a seat. Paul's calling for a change in the culture of federal politics. We can go through this election and have more of the same, or we can have change. We can talk about policies and all of our plans for them, knowing that they're never going to come to fruition because of the kind of politics and partisanship and lack of inclusivity that we have seen, or you can demand more. And that's the kind of day it's been, day nine of the election campaign. So campaign tactics in the spotlight in the election today. Healthcare a central issue today as well as always a top issue for Canadians. The role of profit and the private sector coming up today. Let's pick up the debate with three candidates from the major parties. Adam Vancouverden is the Liberal candidate for re-election in the Ontario riding of Milton. John Broussard is the Conservative candidate for re-election in the Ontario riding of Barry Innisfil. And Angela McEwen is the NDP candidate in the riding of Ottawa Centre. It's good to see you both. Uh, good to see you all, rather. Thank you for being here. Uh, Mr. Vancouver, let me start with you. Let's begin with the tactics and I guess what's a bit of a slap down from Twitter today of the tweet from uh, Liberal candidate Christian Freeland accusing Aaron O'Toole of wanting to introduce for-profit health care in Canada. Twitter says that chopped up video tweet is in fact media manipulation. So why is the party still defending that tweet today? Well, I didn't listen to the video, and I and I don't really have too much to say about the tweet, but I am happy to weigh in on the commitment that we made today, which is an additional $10 billion to hire 7,500 new first frontline healthcare workers, primary core team uh, physicians, uh, nurses, and registered nurses. I think this is an enormous commitment. That'll help, since we're all three uh, Ontario uh, candidates on this call. There's 16 million procedures that are backlogged right now and, and waitlisted. And what this will do will clear up that wait list and provide everybody in Ontario, at least, and, and across the country as well, with the confidence to know that those procedures will get done as quickly right, but, as possible. But I also, I'm, I'm starting off the conversation about the, the tweet and the, uh, the ruling by Twitter that it's media manipulation. This is something that liberals often accuse their opponents of doing, of, of, of making up uh, Twitter lies and so on. And, and I guess a lot of people are wondering what the thinking was on putting together this video uh, that Twitter says is media manipulation. Uh, well, can I address that? Yes. Well, I, I didn't watch the video, but I have heard uh, parts of it, and, and I have heard Aaron O'Toole talk about how for-profit health care could play a role in the future of the Canadian health care system, and that's very concerning for a lot of Canadians. 
All right, he did. Okay, Mr. Broussard, let me move to you. We've, I've set out in, earlier in the program uh, how this uh, uh, Twitter video worked and, and how it uh, left out the part where Mr. O'Toole goes on to say that he's, he, he, uh, paramount is universal health care. But let me ask right. you, what is your reaction uh, to this uh, tweet from the Liberals that Twitter is now calling uh, manipulated media? I think my reaction was the same as probably yours, Peter, and every other Canadian. Uh, you know, we saw that uh, Twitter was quick to act, calling it manipula manipulated media. And uh, by their definition of manipulated media, it says that uh, no one may share deceptively uh, uh, any information that's fabricated in the media, either video, audio, or any images. So it's kind of shocking that the uh, finance minister and deputy prime minister of this country would actually resort to cutting up a video, take it out of context, and then have that retweeted by the Prime Minister. And the interviewer herself uh, even suggested uh, on her Twitter account that that's not what Erin O'Toole talked about, and she played the video in its entirety. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the video is there to be seen in its entirety, and it, it is about health care. Sure. And, and he, Mr. O'Toole does go on to talk about uh, what role he can see for uh, the private sector in health care. Uh, all the while, he says uh, he wants to protect universal health care. So Canadians can go look at it uh, for themselves and see what they think of it. Angel Angela McEwen, uh, let me start there with your reaction uh, to this tweet about Aaron O'Toole. Well, I think it's interesting because... Um, there isn't really any room for private for-profit healthcare in universal healthcare. And the NDP have put forward solutions over this past government to get profit out of um, long-term care, to get profit out of um, pharmaceuticals so that everybody has access to the medicines that they need. And both the Liberals and the Conservatives have voted against that expanding of universal healthcare to make it truly universal. Uh, and they, they've sided with Big Pharma and uh, instead of siding with regular people. So I think they're a lot more, their position is much closer than they would like you to believe. Okay, let, let's let's drill down a little bit now on where the parties stand on on the broader issue of, of health care and the delivery of health care and the role, uh, perhaps, of, of the private sector. Mr. Vancouver, let me go back to you. Uh, you pointed out that uh, the uh, Liberal leader promised lots more money for health spending today to deal with health care backlogs. Uh, to fund 7,500 more doctors and nurse practitioners. He also made it clear that any additional transfers to the provinces will have strings attached. Uh, let's talk about that. What is the Liberal approach to providing more funding to the provinces and the expectations that come with that money? Well, I think first and foremost, and I agree with my, my colleague from uh, the NDP, profit has no role to play in Canadian healthcare in our system because we've got to make sure it's universal. And as soon as you have a second tier, it's no longer universal. And there's two different categories of the quality that one might be able to receive. So what was announced today was an additional almost $10 billion, which is a top up to the $4 billion that we saw in the budget for these waitlisted procedures to hire more uh, nurse practitioners and nurses and doctors in Canada. These are our primary uh, care teams, people who are taking care of us when we're first at the, at the hospital um, or people who are getting surgeries. Uh, there's also more money for virtual and remote health care, which will address something which is a long-standing problem in Canada with regards to equal access to good health care, right. primarily for rural and rem remote communities. But even in, in big cities in Ontario, people have been using telehealth, and I'll actually 
uh, offer that I used telehealth recently to identify whether I needed to go to the hospital. It was a very good system and very, very convenient. Um, but th these 16 million backlog procedures in Ontario need addressing, and this additional $10 billion will do just that. Okay, Mr. Broussard, what I'm really asking here is whether uh, the federal government has the right to tell provinces how they will spend money on health care when the transfers, if the transfers are increased. Your leader said today, uh, he, he, you know, he, he, he wouldn't specify what might be open to private health care in the system for profit health care. He's leaving that to the provinces. When he sends them $60 billion more over 10 years, are Conservatives saying the federal government uh, should have no role in deciding what services a province could open to profit? Well, I, I, frankly, what, uh, what Aaron is talking about is the uh, role of the provincial governments in, and the territories in providing health care. Uh, the federal government is responsible, as you know, Peter, for transfers. Uh, Aaron has talked about increasing those transfers uh, uh, by $60 billion. And eventually it will be up to the provinces to decide how health care is administered. Uh, you said quite rightly that the prime minister did talk today about his plan, but he talked about strings being attached, uh, attached to uh, the transfer of, the, of his increase. So, um, you know, the federal government has a role to play. Their role is to provide those transfers. It's up to the provincial government to determine how health care plays out. Uh, so, right, but is it is it is it the view of uh, is it your view and the view of your party that uh, Ottawa shipped the money out the door and has no role in telling provinces how to spend it on health care? Well, we respect provincial autonomy when it comes to the issue of health care. Provinces know best, Peter, and they have throughout the course of our history, uh, know best how to administer health care. And uh, we respect the relationship that we are going to develop with the provinces. And I know that they're going to administer health care in, in the right way. Okay, Angela McEwen, the NDP also promises uh, big increases in health transfers to the provinces. What conditions, if any, should accompany any of those increases in federal health transfers? Do you believe the, the federal government uh, will ha should have the right to dictate to provinces, if you're getting more money, here's how we expect you to use it? Yes, I, I absolutely think there's a federal role. Uh, the Canada Health Act has been established to ensure that people have access to the same quality of care uh, wherever they live across Canada. So if we're providing funding for mental health, uh, if we're providing funding for dental care, uh, then we would want to make sure that that's what it's going towards. Um, same thing with, with PharmaCare. In terms of long-term care, it, isn't, it doesn't fall under the Canada Health Act. And that's why we see so many for-profit providers in long-term care. And they had the worst health outcomes during the pandemic. And this is something that healthcare workers have talked about for a really long time, that it's we need to invest more in long-term care and we need to get profit out of long-term care. So we want to bring that under the Canada Health Act so we can have strong national standards and improve uh, the quality of care that's available to people. All right, and Deb. just in terms of, of, the, of the Liberal government promise, uh, why aren't they just doing that instead of calling an election? This is an identical promise to the one they made in 2019 uh, that no movement was made on. Um, and we need to move not only on improving that funding, but access to training, uh, credential recognition for healthcare workers that are coming from other countries working to get uh, people that we know are qualified okay. into the labor force to help Mr. the burden. Right now. Mr. Vancouver, let me go back to you on, on, on this issue of uh, who gets to decide how health care transfers are, are used. Uh, we have seen some provinces uh, looking at uh, for-profit services, such in Saskatchewan, uh, as MRIs that are delivered privately as long as the 
clinics delivering them one for one. So if they if they do a for-profit MRI, they have to then do one for someone that's waiting on the public health care list. Do you think there's any space for that uh, as, as health care um, uh, challenges are dealt with by provinces who, who may look at uh, those kinds of services, for-profit services, as they try to uh, build up the healthcare system in those provinces. That on or not? Well, first of all, I'm not a doctor or healthcare pr practitioner, uh, so I'm not going to take liberties and suggest how they do their job. I want to thank, first of all, uh, healthcare practitioners uh, across the country for doing such an extraordinary job, you know, in the face of this pandemic over the last year and a half. Um, but it's exactly for the reason that you just pointed out that I think it's important when the federal government invests tens of billions of dollars into healthcare with the provinces and territories that there are priorities and earmarks and recommendations to be made around, you know, you can spend this money, but please don't start a private health care uh, arm in the province at the same time. And if we're investing in mental health, let's make sure it goes to mental health. If we're investing in long-term care, as my colleague from uh, the NDP candidate uh, mentioned, then let's make sure it goes to long-term care. And without those, you're calling them strings, I'm asking to call them priorities, because I think it's important that when we invest in certain priority areas, as our, our voters have requested and how people are calling for, that we ensure that, uh, some accountability and to ensure that uh, that, that that money actually goes to those priorities. Yeah, I, I think, think the Conservatives I, would call that accountability if they were spending the money themselves, uh, but they're calling them strings attached or red tape. When well, I think a lot of, well, but a lot of people call them strings because the priorities are different for different levels of government and different, you know, not everybody shares the same priorities. So in this case, the federal government provides the money. Uh, so I'm not sure there's a problem with saying there are strings attached to it. And the strings are you spend the money where we want you to spend it. But, you know, Mr. Broussard, let me, let me turn to you here. We, uh, you know, if one of the objectives of a national healthcare system, and Mr. O'Toole says he believes in universality, is the predictability of what you can expect in different parts of the country. If provinces are left to their own decisions on how much for-profit they want, can you really say you have similar uh, and universal standards available to Canadians no matter where they live? Well, the difficulty lies in the fact, uh, Peter, that you know the provinces are best uh, suited to determine what the health care needs of uh, their particular jurisdictions are, whether it's the provinces or territories. Uh, the role of the federal government is such that we do provide health care transfers, and we've talked about priorities. And this is where this partnership comes in between the province and territories and the federal government to make sure that those priorities are being met. Uh, we've talked about the opioid crisis, addiction. We've made a commitment in this campaign to address those issues. The issues of mental health is one of our five pillars of securing the future for Canadians. And so, uh, you know, it comes down to respect, uh, you know, res mutual respect, respect between the provinces, respect with the federal government, a good working relationship to ensure that Canadians are getting the best universal health care system in the world. World, and that's what conservatives are committed but, to. If you put enough money, people would say, if you put enough public money into health care in this country, why would there be a role for the private sector? Well, in Ontario, uh, for example, uh, there are some uh, areas where the private sector is involved, like Life Labs, for example, which is a for-profit business. And uh, the office, uh, my constituency office, is located in a very busy Life Lab area. That's paid for by the province, but it provides blood work. So, you know, we're not talking about complete uh, and utter... Uh, uh, you know, privatization here. There are some services that can be provided and are working effectively right now, Okay, just like the example that I gave you there. All right, Angela McKeon, let me give the final word to you here. Uh, I mean, a lot of, is that the ultimate goal, uh, is to 
put so much public money into the system that you don't need to have a private component? Or is, is that what the NDP is looking for? Well, I think that's how healthcare works best. Uh, the mixed model uh, tends to leave gaps. There are people that aren't served, they fall through the cracks. Uh, we're better off if we have universality and it works well. If it's properly funded, uh, then people trust it. People who have enough are willing to pay taxes to keep it. Canadians are very proud of our universal uh, Medicare system. And the plan was always uh, to build on what we have and to add elements like universal coverage of medicines, okay. dental care, your teeth are part of your body. Why can you go to the doctor if it's you know your ear, but you can't if it's your tooth? So oh. I really think that um, we need to expand Medicare and we need to make it universal so everybody has coverage when they need it because right. otherwise well, the, the privatization chips away at it and, and it ends up taking away service from, from vulnerable people. All right, lots to follow up on. Thank you all for your thoughts tonight. A good conversation. Wish you all, as I always do, uh, best of luck in the campaign and uh, thanks again for your time tonight. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Peter. Well, the Green Party leader, Anami Paul, is fighting this campaign on at least three different fronts. The first black leader and first Jewish woman leader of a political party in Canada. Paul is trying to boost the seat count for the Greens across Canada. She's also making her third attempt to get elected in the riding of Toronto Centre. And she is also fighting to keep the party unified in the face of attempts by some insiders to oust her from the job as leader. And we've caught up with Green Party leader Annemi Paul in Toronto today. Uh, good to see you again, Ms. Paul, and thanks for taking time to speak with me. Oh, thank you so much for having me, and welcome to Corktown Commons. Yeah, you spoke in, in your campaign message today about uh, the culture in Parliament and how it needs to be changed because it's not welcoming to many Canadians, and that should be an issue in this campaign. Uh, we know that departing MPs, especially women, have talked a lot about how they were marginalized in Parliament. What's the solution? Uh, the solution is first to acknowledge that there is a problem and we often have not and, and those departing MPs have said that we have not acknowledged it. And once you acknowledge it, then you know, you just, you just do the work. You make sure that political parties are more welcoming and open to candidates uh, uh, in winnable ridings from diverse groups. And then you commit across party lines to, you know, just lowering the tone of the partisanship and, and doing uh, going to Ottawa to do the work that we were sent there to do, which means cooperating with each other. You also pointed to, uh, you just touched on it again, partisanship as a, a detriment to progress in this country. And that partisanship, let's face it, it's, it's fully on display in election campaigns. And I guess people wonder, how can you not have partisanship when there's fundamental clashes on so many key issues? You can talk about the differences, and we have to talk about the differences, while at the same time not questioning the, the basic motives uh, of the people who, or the basic humanity of the people that, um, that are presenting a different position. I said on the opening day of the campaign that while I would be ferocious in, uh, in, in, uh, in my um, quest for accountability on things like the climate, I was never going to question the humanity of, of my opponents. And so I don't want to do that. I think that we need to show a different style of politics that people in Canada can feel proud of. Uh, Green Party, let's face it, it's got a number of challenges. We'll, we'll get into some of them, trying to, trying to get uh, the message out to Canadians, trying to be considered by Canadians. So fundamentally, what, what do you believe this campaign's about and what do you want voters to consider? Uh, Peter, I think we're all struggling to figure out what this campaign is about, quite frankly. 
You know, this is a when I say campaign, I mean uh, this campaign within the, this election that we don't know why we're having. Uh, we're all struggling to understand why Parliament did not go back to work, why uh, Tr Mr. Trudeau did not uh, go back to work uh, in September to finish the work of the pandemic, to deal with the forest fires, to deal with the drought, to deal with all of the pressing issues that are still unfinished. Um, so one of the things that, as I said today, we need to do, uh, and a key issue should be, are we going to send back more of the same? Are we going to reward that kind of partisan uh, calculation? Or are we going to send people back whose first priority is getting work done on behalf of people in Canada? All right. You, you've been spending all your time in Toronto to this point, uh, where you're campaigning uh, for a third time to win the seat there in Toronto Centre. Uh, word is you'll be heading into New Brunswick next week to Fredericton to try and help the Greens hold the seat. Or, or uh, I, I guess there's, there's a, language is important here. The Greens had the seat. The, your Jenna Catwin crossed the floor to the Liberals, and you're trying to get that seat. So are you going to Fredericton next week? This is incredible, the rumor mill. I, I mean, I guess it never takes a pause even during an election. Uh, what I said today is that I am seeking, even here from Toronto, where I will be spending the bulk of my time to support all of our outstanding candidates, including uh, Nicole out in Fredericton. Uh, if I have the opportunity to uh, to support her in person, uh, it's certainly something that we're considering. But we, uh, you know, we haven't we haven't, and we're not ready to make any announcement about that. But certainly, I'm doing all I can to support her every single day. But right, when you say if 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 you have the opportunity, you can make your leader of the party. Can't you make that an opportunity and say I'm going to Fredericton? Well, you know, there's a lot of moving parts, as you can imagine, for any given day in such a short election cycle. Uh, I'm a brand new leader that is is seeking to show respect to the people that I want to represent by being here as often as I can. We've got to find the right date, the right time, uh, and also make sure that it works for our, our local candidates. So if all of those things align and come together, then certainly, as I had always wanted, I'll travel there. I mean, it's the pandemic that stopped me from traveling the country before. Is that all in this case? I mean, I'm, how much consideration have you given to, I guess, wondering if showing up helps the candidate in Fredericton, given the very public show of disunity that was on display when Jenik Atwin left the Greens to join the Liberals. Uh, are you convinced that going there would help and not hurt? Well, I think that uh, the uh, fact that we were able to attract an outstanding, I mean, a truly extraordinary person uh, to run as our candidate there, someone who is a constitutional prof law professor, uh, someone who has really deep roots in the community, is really a testament to the confidence that she has and the community has uh, that will win that seat again. My job is to make sure that whatever I do uh, helps that. And uh, I know that Nicole and uh, David Kuhn are keen for me to come out. Uh, I'm always going to be guided by them. But as I said, in whatever way I can, for as much of the campaign as I can, I'll be uh, supporting Nicole. Uh, where are you in, in the whole process of challenges to your leadership? Uh, tell me where you are in terms of trying to lead the party, trying to fight for a seat in Toronto, trying to deal with some of this disunity. Where is it at? Where I'm at is right where you see me, which is in my community in Corktown uh, Common, uh, talking about the policies that I think will make a difference, talking about the climate, uh, talking about how we can enter the next parliament with the uh, tools and the MPs and the ambition that we need uh, in order to tackle uh, the big challenges and uh, seize the big opportunities that lie ahead. Um, I'm a multitasker, as, as, as women are, <laughs> as many people are, but uh, for me right now, my head is just full of the election and supporting our candidates 
uh, all of those things uh, will uh, unfold in good time. But right now, we're focused on the election. But they're playing a role, aren't they? One of your candidates in Toronto, Phil DeLuna, told reporters, look, he's hearing from voters about the drama inside the Green Party over the Israel-Palestine issue. It's, it's clear the party isn't getting past that, according to Mr. DeLuna. What are you hearing from the campaign trail from your other candidates? Well, first, I would push back a little on that, Peter, and say that, you know, Phil, you know, Phil and I had an event uh, last Friday together where we were talking about clean tech and innovation. Uh, he has a master's in material sciences and engineering, and we had a great time, uh, you know, policy wonking out about that. And so, I mean, certainly there was space in his head to talk about those things and mine as well. I have to tell you, when I go to the doors here in Toronto Centre, what people say to me first is, why are we having an election if they even know we're having one at all? And then they want to talk about affordability. They want to talk about the climate. They want to talk about uh, the drug overdoses that are happening in uh, poisonings that are happening in the community. Uh, they're not asking me about these things. Uh, they want to know how we're going to make a difference in their lives and, and in their communities. Is it your intention to remain party leader um, if you don't win the seat in Toronto? As I mentioned, it's a, a third try and every time you run, you're getting a little closer. Uh, what's the plan if you don't win Toronto Centre? Well, you're absolutely right. Every time we get closer and third time is the charm, we believe, uh, during the Toronto Centre by-election just 10 months ago. So you can imagine how people around here are feeling about going back to the polls yet again. Uh, you know, we weren't able to do any canvassing, any in-person events, any door knocking. So having the chance to do that, we really believe is going to put us over the top. And I know that uh, that's the perennial question that leaders get asked. And so I respect you asking it. But as I said, right now, I'm strictly focused on uh, this election, on supporting our candidates uh, and just trying to, again, make some sense out of why we're here by sending a better uh, group of MPs back to Ottawa. All right. Green Party leader, Anami Paul, uh, great to talk to you. Uh, good to have the chance. And uh, I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk again over the course of the campaign. Take care. Good luck. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that is all for this edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC, the Vote 2021 edition. I'm Peter Van Dusen. Till next time, take care and thanks for watching.